You're tuned in to the thinking out loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you, featuring author, speaker, and minister. Michael Nimmons. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jamel Hill, and you're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with my man, Michael Nimitz. Stay live. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nemens. And you're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. Guys, want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy day to spend it with us right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We bring you a brand new edition, guys. So very excited to be coming to you uh, the second week in March. Again, we're celebrating Women's History Month with my good friend, journalist, TV, and podcast host, Jamel Hill. Bring you part two of our conversation. We call it Women of Influence series featuring journalist Jamel Hill. So excited to have her on the show. And again, she has been um, someone that I've wanted to interview for some time now. So very happy uh, to have had the opportunity to have her on the show. And last week, if you missed last week, we talked some sports, we talked politics, and tonight we're going to continue our discussion uh, and delve into a recent article that she wrote for uh, The Atlantic um, and uh, it's one that deals with uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, owner Mark Cuban making the decision to discontinue uh, playing the, the Star Spangled Banner and uh, it's a very interesting article, very interesting piece that we get into uh, during tonight's interview so can't wait to share that with you in just a little bit but before we do, of course, I want to share with you, um, again, guys, a lot, a lot of things going on with our program, with our show. Um, we uh, encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to our Thinking Out Loud TV YouTube channel. Uh, we are getting some hits there as well. Uh, we posted a, a few more videos there from our interview with Jamel Hill and with my good friend, Jakar Amory from the after show. Uh, just wanted to share with you some comments from the interview that uh, a clip that we posted uh, from uh, Jamel Hill talking about Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, or Vice President now Kamala Harris, and the significance of uh, her um, her selection by. 
President Joe Biden. Uh, we talked about that in last week's show, and I posted a clip of that on our YouTube channel. And I want to give a shout out to Say Say 44. Um, we had an interesting discussion there. I just want to share with you what she said. Uh, Say Say 44 from YouTube said Kamala Harris literally laughed at the prospect of black Americans getting reparations, basically saying that she won't do anything specific for us. Why are we supporting this lady? And um, I don't think that, and I and I put, posted this in my reply to her, that I don't believe her laughter was directed towards her desire to work for equality and justice for black Americans because I don't believe there are any uh, uh, reasonably minded black people that don't uh, believe we deserve some kind of reparations for slavery um, but I believe her laughter might have been directed toward the notion of reparations for all black Americans which on the surface is a bit laughable because I mean when you think about the enormous amount of money that would have to be paid out uh, for reparations, um, it, it can be a bit, uh, it is a bit laughable. But um, yeah, I went on to say my belief is that the idea of reparations wouldn't come purely in monetary compensation for black Americans because that isn't feasibly or might not be feasibly economically, but it would come in other forms, better and more affordable health care, more equitable education, affordable, affordable housing. You know, there are a lot of other ways we can achieve Reparations for our community. We have to be diligent and persistent in our quest to make it happen. Thanks for your comment. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the podcast. And say say forty four responded. Agree to disagree, but because there's plenty money for the descendants of former slaves. The money is old. There can be a mix of cash payments and ideas like the one you said. This is literally the one, the only way to close the wealth gap. So Kamala isn't the answer. Um, so I went on to say, absolutely, there's more than one way for this to get done. But I don't think assassinating the character of Kamala uh, Harris is a benefit to the greater good. And for our nation to one day elect Vice President Harris or another black woman, for that matter, to the highest office in the land is indeed another way for us to realize some of the promises of this democracy. Uh, and I, I truly believe that. But Say Say went on to say, good discussion. However, just electing a black woman isn't enough if that black woman won't do good for her community and reparations is a big part of that. So I just wanted to acknowledge uh, Say Say 44. Shouts out to her if she's listening on tonight. We appreciate your comments. And again, we're going to be highlighting, uh, you know, those who uh, we engage with uh, on social media. Uh, follow us uh, on Instagram at TOL Radio Host MSN. You never know when you're going to get a shout out during the show. Again, if you subscribe to the podcast, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you rate or review us, um, you know, rate or review the podcast, we definitely are going to shout you out during the show. And we appreciate, you know, any constructive dialogue that we're able to have on social media. Now, we don't want to get into, you know, verbal abuse and, and, and,
and foul language of any kind uh, with anyone on social media. But I think that we can use this platform in a responsible way to get our point across. And that's what we are trying to do with the Thinking Out Loud radio show. So, again, we encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, it's www.youtube.com, thinkingout.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud TV. That is the link to our YouTube channel. Do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We're going to be continuing to post exclusive content from our Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast we have with uh, the guests that we are interviewing for our show. And guys, if you thought, again, February was great, uh, we interviewed people like Mouthpiece and uh, Martin Luther King III. And, uh, you know, of course, we interviewed Jamel Hill. Uh, these are just some of the notable names of uh, recent memory that we have on, have had on the show. But, I mean, we interview people like, you know, Reverend Marcia L. Dyson and Dr. Freddie Haynes and, uh, you know, uh, Carolyn Clifford. And the list goes on and on. And we're going to be posting some clips from some of those interviews um, that we've had and taken on video on our YouTube channel for you to enjoy as well so again do us a favor and subscribe to the youtube channel right now we're at about 511 or so subscribers so we want to hit a thousand before the end of the year and uh and uh we want you to be able to help us do that as well we when you do we're going to give you a shout out during the show we greatly greatly appreciate all of your support Again, we're going. We are. We're go, after the uh, podcast is over. We're going to be going live on Instagram and uh, chatting and chopping it up with our listeners. Those of you who uh, will join us and care to join us uh, for our live on Instagram at nine thirty. Follow us at TOL Radio Host MSN. We have a great time and great discussion each and every week, talking about the podcast and sharing with you our thoughts about interviews and topics of discussion tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about the new movie Coming to America. Uh, a lot of controversy going out about that movie. Uh, we saw it. And, of course, there are people, including myself, who think that the first movie was better than the second one. You know, because it is a sequel. And there's no way that you cannot compare the two. But there are some who are, of course, Eddie Murphy fans. And I'm an Eddie Murphy fan. But, you know, um, that 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 try to say we we shouldn't put the two we shouldn't put the two together but they are two separate movies and uh, I, I beg to differ but uh, we want to chop it up with you and get your thoughts about coming to America uh, in the in the after show and we might share that with uh, our listeners on next week as well so uh, look forward to chopping it up with you if you're listening on tonight remember to follow us at TOL radio host MSN we're going live at 930 and we are looking forward to chopping it up with you in a little bit. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Your support helps us to increase our exposure across the world wide web. Well, guys, we're going to take our first break of the night, but when we come back, we're going to get into part two of our interview with noted journalist, TV, and podcast host, Jamel Hill. You don't want to go anywhere. You're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. 
Hello, my name is Maya Nimmons, and I want you to listen to my dad, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Every Tuesday at 8 p.m., available everywhere you listen to your podcast. And now, available on the Detroit Praise Network website. You better listen to that little girl, the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Stephanie D. Sanders, award-winning singer, songwriter, author, voiceover artist, and more. Heard on shows like the Time Join the Morning Show and the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Book Stephanie D. Sanders to voice over your podcast or radio intros or commercials. Do yourself a favor and visit stephaniedsanders.com and upgrade your podcast or radio show by booking Stephanie D. Sanders. You'll definitely be glad that you did. Hi, this is Martin Luther King III, and you're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with radio host Michael Nimmons. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. that you were insufficient who told you that you were a loser who told you that you were a failure who told you that you were deficient who told you that you were nothing who told you that you were worthless who told you that you had no value who told you that you Who Told You That You Were Naked is a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. If you believe in social justice, if you believe that black lives matter, if you believe that voting will bring about a change in November, if you believe that Jesus Christ is king, then you need to be listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. I'm radio host Michael Nemens, and if all of your answers are yes, then you need to join me Tuesdays at 8 p.m. on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, available everywhere you listen to your podcast, including michaelnemons.com. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. If you missed last week's show, here are some of the highlights. Take a listen. We are back on another great a phenomenal edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And guys, I have a very, very special guest with us uh, on tonight. Uh, somebody that is kind of like a bucket list interview of mine. Um, and I've known her for a long time and very, very proud of her and so honored to have her on the show with us. And I can't wait to get into the interview. But before we do, I want to give her a proper 
introduction. She is an Emmy Award winning journalist and the co-founder of Lodge Freeway Media and a contributing writer for The Atlantic. Uh, in April 2019, uh, she debuted a new podcast on Spotify called Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Unbothered explores the news of the day and the intersectionality between the world of sports, politics, music, identity, and culture. She's also the co-host of the popular Vice television show, Stick to Sports with Carrie Champion. I want you to give a warm, thinking out loud, radio show welcome to new friend of the show and good friend of ours, journalist, TV, podcast host, and so much more, Jamel Hill. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. <laughs> yeah, you got to give me applause. <laughs> you got to give me applause? Okay. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, absolutely, no, thank absolutely. you for such a warm introduction. I really appreciate uh, spending this time with you. It's been too long. Right, right, right. Guys, um, I've known her for a long time. Uh, so, so very proud of her. In fact, I, I wore the green and white because we are MSU Spartans, <laughs> Spartans for life. You know, we, we bleed green no matter <laughs> good or bad or indifferent. Right. <laughs> We're still Spartans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now it's looking a little rough. Uh, right, right. I know it is. Basketball season. Yeah, it was a rough season, I should say. But, yeah. you know, considering what I think they made the uh, tournament 22 years in a row, I mean, Man. that's an incredible achievement, incredible run. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Spartan fans have been very dismayed by what they saw this year. But I caution them to put too much stock into it because this is the most abnormal year that we've ever had in sports. And mm-hmm. in, in life, in most of our lifetimes, I mean, we should not underestimate the toll of a pandemic. You know, Michigan State's basketball team was pretty ravaged by uh, the pandemic. And I think in many ways we take for granted or we don't realize what these young athletes go through uh, right. as a result of that. Uh, you know, you're talking about trying to play basketball in a pandemic when the scheduling's not the same, practice schedule isn't the same, how they even just basically have learned to cope is not the same being on campus and isolated experience, like it, it look, put it this way. It, it, I, it'd be one thing if Michigan state was an anomaly, but you're looking at a situation where Duke, North Carolina, Michigan state, all the top programs, Kentucky went through basically the same thing. And I think that should right. tell you or indicate just how difficult this season has been. And that's not to take anything away from the teams that have been able to succeed despite these circumstances, but you know, it, it wasn't that long ago. I remember watching a Michigan game and they said on the broadcast, I mean, the Wolverines had not played a game in three weeks because of COVID. Like that's, that's not normal. Like that's not right. how, how this game and this season is supposed to go. So I would just exactly. caution Michigan State fans from taking or uh, putting too much stock into this season. Well, I, I'm I'm glad you you um you gave us that that uh word of encouragement there because uh you know we're, we're many of us are are reeling right now we're watching games and we're we're uh, with our fingers crossed like come on get us a win it's been a long time and it just seems like uh they can't pull one out but um I'm 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 maintaining my optimism uh Tom Izzo is a Hall of Fame coach and um you know, regardless of, uh, you know, what circumstances this, the team finds themselves in, they always find a way to make it work and to, uh, to come out on top. So 
you know, if this season we we don't make it to the tournament, um, that's fine. I hope we just do a do uh you know do do decent you know we end up decent in the in the Big Ten tournament, and uh you know, I think we end up in what the NIT right. Hopefully, I mean, but you know, I guess I'd be curious if if we did get invited to the NIT, whether or not Michigan State would actually accept. Um, mm. I know, I know, more basketball typically is how coaches feel like they can get better, and I can understand that. But I think I just wonder. I wouldn't be surprised if we declined it, just in in the sense of like this has been a long season and right. um, a long twenty twenty for most people and, and even 2021 we're not that far into it it's still starting to feel long already right, so right, right, I just right. wonder if, if maybe this might be a really good time to give these athletes a, a little bit of a mental break all right guys we are back and uh, we're continuing our discussion on tonight with uh, my good friend TV host podcast host journalist and so much more Jamel Hill is with us and I'm still pinching myself because uh, this is a bucket list interview for me and uh, I'm so happy to have her on the thinking out loud radio show for women's history month I can't believe it guys we were talking sports in the last segment but in this segment you know we usually uh, asked our guests um, you know, the question, tell us about yourself, but because, you know, Jamel, you, you're on TV all the time. You're, you're in, you're in front of the camera a lot of the time. You're writing all the time, doing a lot of things. I feel like, and you probably feel the same way that people know a lot about you. So my question to you is tell us something that nobody knows about you that you're obviously willing to share. <laughs> well, but it's, it's funny because even in the things that I feel like I've been more public about, but you'd be surprised what people, you know, don't, don't know. know. It's still, it's still people who don't know that I'm from Detroit, right? And so, yeah, that's true. Um, you and I have the backstory of, of not only you know Michigan State, but going, you know, we got high school together as well, right? right? Mumford, Mumford, yeah, good old Mustang. So we Mustangs and Spartans, right? It's just me. So, um, and all the toy is named after you now. Yeah, yeah, now, which is still very surreal to me, and right. I guess that would be that might qualify as something that people don't know is that Mumford's Auditorium is named after me. But um, no, I, I mean, I, I think that what I often try to talk about when in these kind of conversations where people want to know more is that I do tra- talk a lot about Detroit and how I grew up and what I felt like the city gave me because I think that's an important message. I mean, we, we both seen Detroit the perception of Detroit kind of changed over the years. And there's been a lot of stop starts to it. And then when I was growing up in Detroit, um, you know, on the West side, so shout out to my West siders. <laughs> West side. Was, yep. So there was nothing good that was ever said about Detroit. Like nothing. I mean, nothing. people would say Motown and that might be it. That might be the extent of, of the positive things, Motown and maybe Aretha Franklin. That might be the extent <laughs> of whatever positive press that Detroit would get. So it's always been a city that's been fighting and clamoring for respect. And I think that that spirit uh, of Detroit um, is something that was woven into my DNA. And I don't necessarily mm. think I have anything to prove to people, but I do feel as if I have a chip on my shoulder and that I demand a certain level of, of respect. And I get a lot of that from coming from Detroit. And I also 
understand what it's like to be the underdog and what it's like to be looked down upon and what it's like when you have people um, people and systems that you're surrounded by that don't necessarily believe that you're worth anything. And mm. I get, I, I get it. So I think that's why um, I'm passionate about so many social justice issues is because I saw how they played out in our city every day, you know, um, about having that lack of instruct, uh, infrastructure um, about what it looks like when people think black people as a collective and as a community aren't worth anything. Mm. And so seeing that is what has certainly fueled um, my passion to speak out about these issues, bring awareness to these issues and do what I can with my platform um, to try to, to fight against some of these systems that I feel like have purposely targeted uh, African-Americans um, in this country and really black people around the globe. So a lot of that stems from that. And so I always think it's important when I talk about, you know, myself and my roots that I always, uh, you know, address that or whatnot. So, um, you know, for me, that's, that's a big cornerstone and big piece of like, of, of who I am. I know you've been asked this question uh, before, but um, I want to kind of revisit it in this in this particular venue. But since your tweet con- criticizing uh, President Trump, former President Trump, you know, it, like, it seems like your career has been on an upward trajectory. You 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 you've climbed. I mean, it's just it's just been phenomenal. Um, but you know, do you do you think that the reason for the spike was because you were saying something that was on the minds of millions of Americans, millions of Americans that um, you know you just had the platform to say it. You just had the 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 boldness and the the audacity to say it. Is that is that what you think contributed to the spike in your career? So I, I think um, what happened in the response to the tweet um, was that it, I, the response was so outrageous because it was a combination of a few factors. It was um, race, gender, platform, and also person, as in the person I was talking about. Right. Uh, and then another thing is is obviously the nature of what I said. You know, anytime you accuse somebody of being a racist and a white supremacist, right? It, you know, that's pretty provocative for a lot of people. That's pretty shocking, and especially when you're talking about the president, not mm-hmm. just an ordinary citizen, not even somebody a leader of another kind. You're talking about the the highest authority in this country, and I think that. Uh, being at ESPN was another lightning rod. And the fact specifically at the time I was a host, the host of sports center, which is a legacy brand for this company. And you don't often hear, if ever hear political opinions from somebody who is a sports center anchor, even though this was not said on ESPN, this was said on Twitter. And at the time, I think this was a conversation about whether or not the president is a racist and some of the things that he was saying and also some of the things it, it you know, cause people have to understand this is when I said that about the president, it wasn't just about some of the 
bigoted things that he had said. It was about him using his bigotry to institute policy, which is different, right? Okay, that takes it to another level. That's not to say it would have ever been acceptable, just the words alone, but these were words combined with action. Mm. That's the difference, all right? Mm. Um, When there is a feeling and a sense that the president does not have a respect and a regard for all human beings and does not believe in equality, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, when you say, this being the president, that Mexicans are rapists, and the only people that are that they're sending over the country is if they're sending anybody are the worst kind of people. And then you're following that up with this, with deporting and separating families. See, that's where bigoted actions, bigoted thoughts meet action or exactly. bigoted, you know, statements meet action. And right. so that that is what was the, the core of what I was, was talking about. And so um, at any rate, I think. You know, as we started to have these critical conversations in America, and frankly, as the president continued to prove me right, that is how the spike, if you want to call it that, in my career happened. Because I think people realized what I said was true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fast forward to during the presidential debates, the presidential candidates were calling him those same things, the same things that I called him, like they were saying water was wet. So, <laughs> It's like that's how much in the conversation and in the lexicon, that's how much, frankly, as a nation, many of us had accepted this about this man who was in power. Right. And so right. um, I think as people started to realize it, a lot of people then began to position me as like, oh, you were trying to put this on, put us on to this a while ago. And uh, I, I think, you know, there is something to be said for people also finding some I don't know if you want to call it inspiration or whatever uh, in the fact that I spoke so plainly, but I always tell them the reason why I spoke so plainly and so candidly, candidly, excuse me, was because I didn't think it was controversial what I said. That's Mm. why it was easy for me to say, because I I honestly thought a lot of people already thought this. Like I have never said that I was the first or the only person to say this about the president. I mean, Ta-Nehisi Coates, the brilliant writer, he laid out an entire essay about Donald Trump being a white supremacist that ran. I had read that essay. It ran weeks before I even said it. Um, it, it was published in The Atlantic, where, where I work now. But, mm-hmm. you know, as things unfolded in his presidency and certainly with the way he left, you know, a lot of people have asked me recently, especially if I feel vindicated. And I think that's a strange word because. I don't feel vindicated because this is not something I wanted to be right about. Mm. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want this nation to be governed by a white supremacist and a racist. Like that's, that's, you know, this isn't like a sports prediction where you're excited that you get something right. Like, Oh man, I predicted Tampa Bay would win the Super Bowl. Yay. (laughs) No, this doesn't work that way because I live in this country. I'm a citizen. I'm a black woman and I don't want to be governed by racist. So it's like, I, I don't really take any pride or pleasure in being quote unquote right because of there have been people's lives that were ruined and that have been ruined by racism and white supremacy. I'm not attaching all of this to Donald Trump, but just like in the history of our nation, we sometimes forget that racism has a cost, like a real cost. It has killed people, right? right? It has brutalized generations. It has murdered people. And so we can't, we can't, ever let ourselves think of it as something 
so nonchalantly as, oh, don't you feel vindicated? No, this, this no, I don't feel vindicated that you had immigrant immigrant children separated from their parents, some of which have never not not been re- reunited. Hundreds of children that children that were just lost. Like, no, I don't I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about the number of black men that were executed through the death penalty, the federal death penalty, which was off the table until Donald Trump got in the office and uh, he decided to reinstitute the death penalty after a 19-year hiatus. I don't feel good about that. I don't want to look at that and say, see, I told you, no, those are people who lost their lives. Right. So for me, it's, it's very much um, an uncomfortable uh, it's uncomfortable but to be put in that position of people applauding the fact that I was right because this is something you don't want to be right about. It's too much at stake for a lot of people. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. Good friend of ours, iconic, legendary radio host right here in Detroit, John Mason. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you, Pastor Michael, man. Head <laughs> out of a cloud and always listen to Thinking It Out Loud. It'll change your life. It'll do it. And every time you watch and listen, it'll change your life every day. Tune in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. with radio host Michael Nimmons. Available everywhere you listen to your podcast and now available for download on the Detroit Praise Network app. Demiri Graphics. In need of a local design for your business, then check out Demiri Graphics. Need flyers, business cards, t-shirts, or website for your business, then check out Demiri Graphics. The people at Demiri Graphics will get you right for your next business venture. They're professional, creative, courteous, and they get the job done right every time. Check out the team at Demiri Graphics. Give them a call today at 734-219-5266. Demiri Graphics, bringing your imagination to life. Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show giving voice to issues that matter to you. The people have spoken. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter 
and I Can Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thinking Out Loud swag is here. T-shirts, polos, hoodies, letterman's jackets, and even face masks. All priced affordably and in a variety of colors and sizes. Just visit michaelnimmons.com to purchase your favorite Thinking Out Loud radio show swag. Get yours today and rep the show out loud. I know you're enjoying part two of our Women of Influence series featuring journalist Jamel Hill. Let's get back into this inspiring and empowering interview. Totally agree with you. And I'm still reeling uh, over the past four years that we had to go through um, as a nation with this man, at the helm, I, I, I just can't believe that he was elected back in 2016 and that there were 75 million people still wanting to give him another opportunity to um, continue to destroy this country uh, as if, you know, he deserved another another chance with, with so many so much blood on his hands as it is, uh, you right. know, uh, 14, 15 million uh, deaths as a result of this uh, deadly pandemic, you know, and so many more uh, lives that have been affected by COVID-19 because of the ineptitude of leadership in the White House. So I agree with you um, and, and you don't want to be right about it, what, you, what your thoughts were, but unfortunately you were right about that. And um, it's just sad, but, but I'm, I'm thankful that uh, he is a distant memory now and we can move forward with the new administration. And speaking of that, um, this is Women's History Month. And I want to find out from you, um, you know, what, uh, how important was it for uh, President Joe Biden to pick not just a woman uh, as his vice president, but a black woman as his vice president? Uh, This was historic, and that's probably an understatement. You know, I live in Los Angeles, so uh, for I moved here in 2018. So Kamala Harris was my senator. <laughs> you know, and I've been uh, you've interviewed her too. Yeah, I say I've been very fortunate because I've gotten to know her a little bit. Um, and you know, I, I think there's I I want to put the, her appointment in perfect historical context in mm-hmm. the sense that this is something that could be a gateway to even something more historic happening, as in. We could be looking at our first, you know, uh, president that's a black woman in Kamala Harris. Uh, that could certainly be a, a, a strong possibility. Um, or it could be Stacey Abrams. <laughs> I think it could be one of those two women easily, right? Well, right. So Nobel Peace Prize winner. 
yeah, I mean, what you're looking at what this represents, you know, much like there was, there were a lot of black men who seeing, uh, you know, President Barack Obama elected struck a different chord with black men, I think. Then he, I mean, with black people, period, for sure, but definitely with black men who absolutely could could look at him, uh, could see, you know, uh, despite all the things that uh, the former president went through, but to, to have a black man get to that level, it, it meant a lot, especially the young black boys in particular. So it's the same with Kamala Harris, where is this is symbolic for so many reasons. Um, you know, black women, this is a time in our country where black women, um, they're the only ethnic group to actually own more businesses than their male ethnic counterpart partners, uh, counterparts, excuse me. So there are more black women that own businesses than, than black men, which is very uncommon in the gender dynamic among all, you know, kind of races. Uh, black women um, are now the most educated group in the country. And so you have, and we see this politically, there's a different level of, of political mobilization happening among black women. You have Stacey Abrams, as I mentioned, who um, after losing, or I should say being cheated out of being governor a few years ago, right. decided to put boots to the ground. And because of her work and the work of Latasha Brown, who is a co-founder of Black Voters Matter, because of the WNBA players deciding to throw their support behind Reverend Raphael Warnock in that critical Senate race. Right. All these black women and women of color mobilizing um, politically to take charge. And I think that is very telling about this moment that we're in. Like a lot of black women in particular are really stepping into their power. And Kamala Harris is the latest iteration of that. She's been a first practically her whole career, you know, mm. first attorney general of California. Um, as it was, I believe she was only uh, the 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 10th or the 11th uh, black U.S. senator ever. There's only been, oh, actually, she's not number 11. I think she's 9 or 10. I think it was Cory Booker, and uh, it, it went President Barack Obama when he was elected uh, U.S. senator um, in, you know, for Illinois. Then mm -hmm. it was Cory Booker, and I think then it was Kamala Harris, right? Wow. So, the fact that we've only had 11 African-American senators in U.S. history, 11. Mississippi, strangely, had the first one in 1870, haven't elected one since. So I'm like, okay. But wow. anyway, I say all this to say is that when you look at what this means and for her to, what she had, what she had to achieve to get there. I mean, this was noticed with Barack Obama. You know, he had to be, uh, you know, he had to go to Harvard. He was, I think he was the first um, African-American to uh, lead the Harvard Law Review. Uh, right, Senator, president uh, of Harvard Law Review, correct. Yeah, president, yep, he was the first one. So, you, it, it, great family, obviously. Um, all the things he had to do, all the ways he had to be perfect to get the president. Hence why Donald Trump's election was such a, frankly, such a slap in the face, because right. all he had to do was be rich and white. Right, that exactly. was all the qualification he needed. Barack Obama had to be the best at everything. Same thing with Kamala Harris. She had to be the best at everything to get <laughs> to this point. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a sense certainly of relief in the sense that black women, especially over the course of the last four years, have done a lot to politically demand attention and demand their own action items. And to see that pay off in Kamala Harris um, was a moment for all of us. And... But the other part I'll say to this, because I feel like we did this with Barack Obama, 
is when Barack got elected, a lot of us took our foot off the gas. Um, mm. In the sense, like we were also energized, you know, to vote for him in in, in both 08 and in 2012. But that energy during the four years wasn't there. And it wasn't just about voting. It was about staying engaged politically, period. And we didn't mm. do that, which is why he lost the majority very quickly as soon as he got off it, in office. Mm. We didn't vote, right? We didn't, you know, we didn't vote, and that didn't allow him to consistently get some of his important policies, policies that were important for our community across. And for that matter, we didn't demand accountability the same way when he was there. And what I'd like to see is with Kamala Harris that that support not only be there, but also that accountability, because I think that's the other important part. Voting is just one cog in the in the wheel. It's not the whole wheel. And we have to make sure that, frankly, we approach every year here on out with the same energy we had in 2020, not just regarding the election, but just about how we mobilize as a community around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, about really holding the people in power accountable. It's easy to do it when it's an election at stake. It's so much harder for our interests to be there and our energy to be there when they're in office because we start feeling that sense of release and satisfaction. You know, a lot of people, I understand, they celebrated with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected. Given the last four very emotional years, I get it. But I didn't celebrate. I mean, I, I, of course, I recognized the achievement. I should say I, I recognized it and was very proud to have been able to witness this moment in my lifetime. But I also felt a sense of we got a lot of work to do, a mm. lot. There's a lot that happened the last four years that need to be done. Frankly, there's a lot in this country that's happened the last 400 years that we never have addressed, period, that need to be undone. Mm-hmm. And the only way that this is going to happen is that we really have to commit to breaking systems. It can't be reform. It can't be, um, you know, trying to add Band-Aids that have proven they don't work. It's got to be a hard, uncomfortable break. And so I hope that is the energy that the election of Kamala Harris has stirred in all of us. Um, because this is a long road that we have ahead of us. I completely agree with you. And, and yes, uh, it's, it's, it has, uh, it has um, been quite uh, uh, emotional for years. I just uh, interviewed Martin Luther King III um, a few days ago and asked him that question about, you know, how how is it that um, well, well, given the former president, President Trump's administration and, and what Republicans allowed him to do and basically run roughshod in their party, um, you know, to, to kind of, uh, you know, give your perspective on, you know, what has happened and has he how far has he put this country back? You know, and and are we will we be able to recover? And surprisingly, he said that, yes, there are some he has done some irreparable damage uh, to uh, not just the country, but to the Republican Party in some respects. But he was very optimistic about the country being able to recover and um, and and and, and, yeah, and coming back. Well, I'm I'm glad that he was uh, Mm -hmm. optimistic because, you know, to be perfectly honest, my optimism comes and goes and Mm. because what the element. I I think people need to understand and be very clear about this. Donald Trump wasn't the bug. He was the feature. 
Okay. <laughs> so we can't treat this like a one-time thing. Everything that he did, he just did it in a more boorish, outlandish, way. impolite mm-hmm. way. Correct. Mm-hmm. But everything that he did and talked about, previous Republican administrations have done. Have done. You know, Ronald Reagan. Well, I, I would say this: Donald Trump, in many ways, was the was the twin of Ronald Reagan. Okay, Ronald mm. Reagan created "Make America Great Again." That was his slogan, mm. and we forget that. And when we, especially now that we know the true essence and the true motive behind the "quote unquote" war on drugs and the war right. on, frankly, black people in inner cities, right? Ronald Reagan engineered that. Mm. All right, and before he got to it, Richard Nixon did it. Right. So this is a line that has been in this party for a long time. The only part they rejected is that they did it, is that Donald Trump did it disavowing political norms that they assumed stupidly that he would follow. Right. The difference is that Richard Nixon, he believed in government. Ronald Reagan believed in government. He believed that government and government institutions and, and, and presidential decorum and all these things. But the essence and the philosophies, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, they all the same. <laughs> like, they're all the same. And I'm not nothing Democrats off the hook either because many of what they have done has just been the softer version of what the conservatives have done. They're just mm-hmm. nicer about it, right? <laughs> right so right. we need to be very clear about, um, you know, making sure that we understand that, that what Donald Trump uncovered or what he further uncovered was already percolating. He just brought it to the surface. And now that he's brought it to the surface, the Republican Party has a big problem on their hands. It's not even a problem. It's actually a problem we, they want. We need to stop treating them like they're victimizing this. They're not. They want those 70 million uh, people who support Donald Trump. They want those people. Right. So that's why you have people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and all these other spineless Republicans refusing to have condemned the big lie, the big lie being that Joe Biden stole this election. They're not going to do that because they want to keep his base in play. They're not going to distance themselves from Donald Trump because they want the 70 million um, people. So you will never see, like, everybody who thought that once he was out of office, the real Republicans would show up. The real Republicans have been showing up. Mm. (laughs) But now the problem that we have as a nation is that it's hard. You know, I I understand why he did this. Joe Biden, he had to call for unity because, frankly, what else can he do? So, but you can't unify with people unless there are basic truths that we all agree on, right? Right. One of those basic truths has got to be he actually won the election and won it fairly and won it the right way and, and won it. He won it. Right. We can't even agree on that. How, on that. Unify. <laughs> we, how can we unify? Right. We, right. we you know, it, it, it very much mirrors some of these racial conversations that we try to have in America. The problem with why police brutality is still not an issue that all Americans see as a problem is because some of us don't think it's bad. That's mm. the problem. Mm. We can't we can't unify mm. if you don't agree that it's not a good idea that the police be allowed to, with impunity, brutalize black people, armed or unarmed, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, we say unarmed and it's just like, okay, 
but even in dangerous situation, there's there's protocol. And we have seen plenty of white people with dangerous objects doing dangerous things <laughs> walk away without being murdered. Without being so murdered. Restraint is possible. We saw that with the Capitol riot. Exactly. Restraint is possible. Restraint is possible. Okay? We- it's possible. We saw it, okay? So if we can't agree on police accountability, then that's why we can't. That's why it turns into a debate when a black person is killed. That's why Breonna Taylor is still a debate. Right. right? That's why Trayvon Martin, even though I know it wasn't someone who was a, a law enforcement officer, that's why that's still a debate because still everybody debate. don't agree it was wrong. Right. And I'm like, if we can't even agree it's wrong that a 16 year old is killed by a a neighborhood watch dude, then what kind of conversation can we actually have? We can't have one. So preach. Unfortunately, in this country, there are too many times where racism becomes a debate. We still got people who think that the Civil War happened because of states rights and not because of slavery. We Mm. can't even agree on that. All right. We know what it was. Right. So as long as we cling to that, as long as we protect whiteness, and as long as we value, and when I say we, I obviously don't mean black people. I really mean white people. As long as white people value their whiteness over the humanity of everybody else, we're going to be in this moment forever. It just is what it is. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Thinking Out Loud swag is here. T-shirts, polos, hoodies, letterman's jackets, and even face masks. All priced affordably and in a variety of colors and sizes. Just visit michaelnimmons.com to purchase your favorite Thinking Out Loud radio show swag. Get yours today and rep the show out loud. Award-winning journalist, Carolyn Clifford. As journalists, we just have to keep doing what we're doing day in and day out. And all we can do is report the truth in a non-biased manner, and everything else will work itself out. Activist and thought leader, Marcia L. Dyson. Obviously not Nancy Pelosi, because again, because of social media, she said what she said, but that... She's not going to be the one who stopped uh, her colleagues from not only thinking out loud, but talking out loud, whoever they are, authentically. Pastor and intellectual, Dr. Frederick Haynes III. In the black church, according to the uh, brilliant author and historian and scholar, L.H. Welchel, he said the black church was born as a protest movement. Uh, That's the reason the black church came to be. And if we're going to be honest to uh, scripture, I mean, the church itself uh, came out protesting. It was a movement of prophetic witness uh, to, 
you know, the insurrection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister, Michael Nimitz. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. you enjoy part two of our Women of Influence series featuring journalist Jamel Hill. Let's hear the conclusion of this inspiring and empowering interview. This uh, great woman, uh, I mean, she's done so much TV, TV host, podcast host, uh, producer, uh, journalist. She's so brilliant and I'm just so happy to have her on with us on tonight. And uh, we've been talking about basketball, football, politics, and everything else. And in this segment on tonight, um, I want to address a column that you recently wrote uh, for the Atlantic. And um, I, I, I just took a look at it recently. And um, your recent column at the Atlantic discusses the Dallas Mavericks and the team owner, Mark Cuban, uh, stands to get rid of the national anthem played during their NBA games and how you agree with owner Mark Cuban. Uh, NBA commissioner issued a league policy now mandating the anthem be played at all NBA games. Um, the last line of your article, you say mandating patriotism doesn't give Americans a reason for pride. It only highlights the country's failures. Uh, great article, by the way. I want you to take a minute or two and expound on that last line there and share with us why you think Mark Cuban and the Mavericks should have, uh, in your words, held their ground and continue not playing the national anthem. Well, I think um... – you know, we've we've obviously, in, especially in recent years, particularly after the protests uh, that Colin Kaepernick engaged in in 2016, where he began to kneel during the national anthem um, to bring awareness to police brutality, racial oppression, um, and so what we know as a historical fact is that the the national anthem was written by Francis Scott Key, who was a slave owner, and his uh the, there's a reason why we we do not say the third stanza of this um national anthem and that is because you know he was very much um threatening the enslaved enslaved black people uh because this was during a time where the british were actually offering 
uh, freedom to uh, enslave black people who helped them in the war. And so that third stanza is a threat to, to the enslaved. And so we don't say the third verse. And, and my thing is, like, I understand tradition, but at the same time, we have to ask ourselves a critical question of why. Why are we engaging in a tradition and, and we know the roots of it are completely baked in what is the most sinful thing we've ever done as a nation? Mm-hmm. Like, why? And I, you know, I, I read recently, um, a few months ago, it's, it's a great book. I, I recommend it highly for everybody. It, it's called Cast, and it's by Isabel Wilkerson, who I think is one of the foremost writers on race and history uh, in this country. And she takes a look at the caste system that we have developed unwittingly. Um, well, sometimes, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say unwittingly, but like consciously in America and compared it to the caste system uh, in India. But very clearly, she makes a, a, a very interesting comparison to the caste system in Nazi Germany um, mm. when that started. And, and one of the things that struck me, not in seeing some of the similarities, because the we may not know this. I mean, we're from Detroit, right? So we very much know who Henry Ford was. Henry Ford was a notorious racist, right? And uh, Henry Ford was a huge anti-Semite. He used to publish a Dearborn newspaper where all he did was publish hateful things about Jewish people. Mm. You know who loved Henry Ford? Adolf Hitler. Mm. He was a big fan of Henry Ford, right? So these are bits of history that we don't all learn all the time in school and everything. And then when you grow up and you like, wait a minute, what? Right. And so um, Hitler, as well as other high-ranking Nazis, they used to come to America because they wanted to figure out how was it that America had this glowing reputation before the world, but yet we had Jim Crow, we had slavery, we had some pretty horrible things that were pretty similar to what they wanted to do to the Jews, right? They exterminated millions of Jews and killed millions of Jews. And then they looked at us and said, wait a minute, they had hundreds of years of slavery, okay, where they brutalized, murdered, raped, African, African-Americans consistently. And the only reason why they basically kept us alive was to be free labor. But yet nobody looks at America as if we are a awful nation or as if we are um, violating human rights. Nobody looks at us that way. How is this possible? Wow. So That's many of them point. came to the American South to study in particular um, our laws against interracial marriage and, and, and interracial dating. And they instituted some of those same things in Nazi Germany, the one drop rule, the outlawing, um, you know, interracial marriage uh, between um, Jews and everyone else. So it, it's a whole long in history. So I say all this to say, we know how ugly that period was and we know what the Nazis did to the Jews. You know what happens when you go to Germany now? You know what you don't see? You don't see statues of Nazis. You do not hear Nazi songs being sung in Germany. You this you know where Adolf had, where Adolf Hitler was uh, where he took his life they paved right over it. Compare that to America, where we have Confederate statues up. We have I'm reminded in particular of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and the Edmund Pettus Bridge is where John Lewis and all those in Selma marched for the right to vote. Right, Bloody Sunday happened. Edmund Pettus was a was a KKK leader and a notorious racist. That 
bridge still stands and it's still called the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Right. John Lewis is dead. So here in America, we erect tributes to people who have committed slavery, horrible sins against African-Americans and indigenous peoples. We have schools and streets and all these things named after them. And Nazi Germany, or in, I shouldn't say Nazi Germany, but in Germany, you see none of that. So we have to ask ourselves, how is it that we're trying to allegedly reach racial harmony, but we want to have celebrations of racist things all the time? Wow. How can this happen? Again, we can't have unity unless we agree that something's bad. And we sound even more foolish by saying, oh, no, but we've changed the meaning. Okay, they could say the same thing in Germany about a lot of things, but you don't see it because they knew in order for real healing to take place, they had to disavow all that stuff, which is why they paid reparations to the Jewish descendants of the Jews that were killed and armed. That's why they did it. Wow. Apologies don't work unless you put some level of action behind it that shows true atonement. And we've never done this as a country. That's why we are where we are, fractured and broken and still having the same conversations that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had, that before him, other leaders had, W.E.B. Du Bois. But like, we're still having the same ones through history, Frederick Douglass. We're right. still talking about the same thing Frederick Douglass talked about, freedom right. and liberation, still wow. talking about it. That's why we are, because we will not allow for true healing in this country to take place. So that was my really long-winded way of saying that when I think about the national anthem, it doesn't represent everybody. Mark Cuban do it. He talked about it. That's why they stopped doing it. And you know what? They didn't do it for 13 games and no one noticed. We have to ask ourselves why are we even doing the sporting events to begin with. Where did that come from? Mm. Why? Okay. And we know in the NFL in particular, the only reason why they had players that came out of the locker room during the national anthem is because the department of defense paid them to do it because they wanted them to have, they wanted to, uh, they wanted the NFL to basically put on a military commercial. That's why you have flyovers. Like when you see those awesome and emotional reunions between soldiers and families, the department of defense pays the NFL to do that. Mm. That's why it's there. So ask yourself, is that really patriotism or is that capitalism? Sounds mm. like, kind of like capitalism to me, right? Wow. So we're having all these displays and all these gestures, and it's like that's not what defines what being a patriot is. It's not whether or not you know the national anthem. Uh, what defines about how you feel about your country is not just what you're willing to do for it, but what you're willing to do to make it better. You know, love is correction. And so people have accused me, especially after that column, of not loving this country. I was like, if I didn't love this country, I wouldn't care. I care deeply, which is why I'm trying to make it better for the people and for the children and for the generations after me, because I care. If I didn't love it, then I, th these things wouldn't bother me. But they bother me because I care and I know we're better than this. And I'm tired of us acting like we aren't and us seem, seeming very intentional about not being better. So... Um, that's kind of the whole thought process I had as I went into writing that piece is that I think it's time we reevaluate the place the national anthem has in this country. And maybe if we, I don't know, just shift it to America the beautiful, 
I heard Ray Charles' version. It was great. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't America the Beautiful is a far more inclusive song. Mm. Right? It's like, what would be so wrong with doing that? You know, they wow. it's the old adage that I live by, which is you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna keep getting what you're getting. We've been at this for hundreds of years as a country of trying to placate the wrong people and trying to stick to traditions and do things that seemed right when it was 13 colonies, but they're not right anymore. <laughs> all right. So it's our right to evolve and to get better. And it seems like we really don't want to do that because we're afraid of something um, that is really, um, you know, rooted in fear and, and not rooted in, um, in, in true humanity. So I'm just like, you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we created a, a, a anthem or a moment that everybody felt uh, included in. Wow. I hope you all appreciate the, the brilliance of uh, Jamel Hill on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. She is just a phenomenal uh, young woman, and I'm so happy to be able to call her my friend and so happy to have had her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show on tonight. And uh, I want you all to make sure you go out and subscribe to the Jamel Hill Unbothered podcast. It is a tremendous podcast. She's interviewing uh, some of the uh, best minds, the world's best uh, on her show. Uh, take a look at her uh, Atlantic, the Atlantic uh, uh, article. She's posting them all over uh, the World Wide Web. Of course, you can always go on to the Atlantic website to get um, her latest columns. But again, I'm so very happy to have had her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. I wish you nothing but success in all that you do. Um, may God continue to bless you, Jamel. And uh, I hope to have you back on the, on the Thinking Out Loud radio show soon. All right. Well, anytime, Mike, I appreciate you having me. And thank you so much. All right. God bless you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. Black to the bone, to the core to the root. I am to America a very strange fruit, born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they missed me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country. And our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be free for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves tears. Cause fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency. Denying black beauty and black pride by Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Thinking Out Loud swag is here. T-shirts, 
polos, hoodies, letterman's jackets, and even face masks. All priced affordably and in a variety of colors and sizes. Just visit michaelnimmons.com to purchase your favorite Thinking Out Loud radio show swag. Get yours today and rep the show out loud. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you... To Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. I was cracking Planet Earth. It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemitz. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Tonight's thought of the week is entitled Greatness by Association. Greatness is a term that is usually reserved for men and women that have accomplished something great in the span of their lifetime. We've been privileged because of history to see some of the greatest men and women who've ever lived graced this world with their presence. Men like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa or Mahatma Gandhi or John F. Kennedy or William Shakespeare. These are just a few of the many great men and women who have made an indelible mark on the whole of mankind. The greatness is usually derived from something they did or an achievement of some kind that denotes them as great. The first walk on the moon, the greatest humanitarian, the greatest playwright, the greatest leader, the greatest president, all are acts of men that are widely considered to be great. What is interesting, though, is we usually never hear of men and women that are great because of proximity or by association. They're not great because of who they were connected to or great because of who their parents were. They're typically great in large part because of who they are. 
We don't usually attribute greatness to someone unless we feel they have accomplished something that is considered to be great. And their accomplishments typically set them apart from everyone else, as well as everyone else's accomplishment. If there was someone who achieved something similar, then what was originally considered to be great might no longer be viewed as such. If someone could duplicate someone else's accomplishments or surpass it, then they would be equally as great or even greater than the one for whom they have surpassed. Rarely, if ever, are there men and women who are considered great because of who they were connected to or associated with. However, there is one such woman who is great not because of who she is, but because of something and someone much greater. A woman who, because of her obedience, gave the world the greatest gift they could ever receive. A woman who has been historically mischaracterized because the powers that be have either chosen to do so or really never fully understood who she really was. A woman that entire religions and theologies have been centered around. A woman whose identity has been deified and mystified to in some way rationalize her greatness. The woman I'm speaking of is heralded by the angel Gabriel in St. Luke the first chapter verse 28 as highly favored and blessed among women. Mary the mother of Jesus, the woman of whom I speak, and she indeed is the greatest woman to ever walk the face of the earth. No, not because of who she was, not because of her entrepreneurial spirit, not because of her benevolence or reciprocity, not because of her wealth or fame or political power, and certainly not because of a divine power that she uniquely possessed. Some believe that Mary was indeed a deity because she gave birth to Jesus Christ. Not so. Mary wasn't a God because she gave birth to God, but she was great because she gave birth to the Savior of the world. Essentially, she was great because he was great. Her greatness was purely by association. Mary was never intended to be worshipped or praised as if she was a deity or a goddess, but instead her greatness was derived from the God that she worshipped and praised enough to submit to being a part of the supernatural miracle known to many as the Immaculate Conception. Essentially and most importantly, it was Mary's proximity to the Savior that made her great. It was her association to greatness that indeed made her great. She was great because Jesus was indeed great. She was strong because Jesus was indeed all-powerful. She was intelligent because Jesus was indeed all-knowing. She was favored among women because Jesus was indeed the difference maker. And so it is for each and every one of us. Our potential, our promise, our destiny lies in the hands of the Savior that Mary called her son. And just as her greatness was directly associated with his deity, our purpose is directly tied to his power. John the Revelator said it best, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We can because he did. We will because he shall. We win because he won. We have because he has. And we are because he is.
again, we hope you enjoyed tonight's start of the week. Greatness by association. I believe it's so very important that we keep uh, everything in its proper perspective and understand the roles that um, uh, individuals in the Bible played in the lives of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Mary definitely was a prominent figure in the life of Jesus Christ, uh, the mother of our Savior. But in fact, um, she was um, great because he is great. Uh, she was not a deity in and of herself, but she was great because of her obedience and uh, her submission to the will of God. And therefore, uh, that is a message for each and every one of us that we are great because God is great in us and we allow him to be great and for his for, for our light to shine and men may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We hope you enjoyed tonight's thought of the week. Again, shouts out to my good friend, journalist, TV and podcast host, Jamel Hill. We encourage you to check out her uh, Jamel Hill is Unbothered uh, podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, we encourage you to do so. I'm sure many of you who who are listening on tonight have already subscribed to her podcast. It is exclusively aired on Spotify, so you can check it out there. Uh, follow her YouTube channel, Jamel Hill, as well. I believe it's Jamel Hill is Unbothered, uh, the YouTube channel. And also, uh, check out uh, The Atlantic, where she writes the news, um, the, uh, the newspaper she writes for The Atlantic, as well as uh, Stick to Sports with uh, Carrie Champion, uh, her co-host on Vice TV. Uh, she is doing some great things and she has some great thing, even greater things coming out. So stay tuned for that as well. Shouts out to her if she's listening. Uh, again, we uh, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with us. And we hope to have you back on the show very soon. Shouts out to everybody who took some time out today to listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, Remember to take some time out and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show and uh, write write a review and rate us and we'll be sure to shout you out during the show as well as subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud YouTube channel as well. We got a lot of great things coming up and we want you to be a part of it. Tune in next week. We're going to be continuing with our Women of Influence series featuring Jasmine Jen. She is a brilliant young jazz musician, saxophonist, a phenomenal artist, and I just can't wait to share this interview with her with you as well. We're going to be sharing with you two songs off of her latest release called Forever Jazz. And um, I'm telling you guys, she is heating up the billboard charts and doing her thing. She is a young, brilliant saxophonist, and I can't cannot wait to share this interview with you. I told you guys February was great, but but March is even better, and it keeps getting better and better and better. And ask yourself, why haven't you subscribed to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast yet? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, you need to do that. 
Stop right now and hit the subscribe button. Wherever you're listening, do that right now because we the interviews just keep getting better and better and better. We're bringing you the best minds, giving you their best thoughts exclusively here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. So tune in next week. We're going to have phenomenal jazz artist Jasmine Jim. She's going to be our guest on the Women of Influence series. Well, guys, we're getting ready to get out of here. Thanks for listening again. We're getting ready to jump on our live on Instagram. Again, follow us at TOL Radio Host MSN. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Always remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Out Loud radio 